please join us in giving special thanks to our family of patrons, story folk Paul Jackson, Sean Powell, Shawnee Basket, and Selena Vokenhauer. Thanks to their support, the stories keep flowing. You're listening to Lore and Legend, tales from our mythic past. Hello and welcome. I'm Rick Scott, bringing you legendary tales inspired by the rich traditions of world folklore and mythology. If you enjoy the episode today, please consider joining Paul, Sean, Shawnee and Selena as patrons and help us to pay for the music, the audio effects, the art and technology that we use to enhance our telling of these wonderful stories. Go to our website at www lawandlegend.co.uk and click on support us. You can find out how. Today we're talking to storyteller and local marketing coach Chris Sissons. I know Chris from Sheffield's monthly storytelling evening, The Story Forge, where Chris has, where Chris has sometimes performed and shared some of his own stories inspired by mythology and folk. Today we're talking to storyteller and local marketing coach Chris Sissons. I know Chris from Sheffield's monthly storytelling evening, The Story Forge, where Chris has sometimes performed and shared some of his own stories inspired by mythology and folklore. Chris's work is intimately bound up with the power and utility of storytelling. He coaches businesses to use storytelling to market themselves effectively to their customers. I thought that this would be an interesting opportunity to talk to Chris about the relationship between his folk-inspired storytelling and the storytelling that he teaches in the commercial world. Chris's business, Market Together, runs a service called Telling Stories, Making Business, which seeks to improve their clients' marketing by teaching them to tell distinctive, compelling and memorable stories. He also co-hosts his own monthly podcast about business storytelling called Find, Tell, Share, which features guests from across the business world. We'll hear from Chris about the importance of story in his life, the influence of literature, folklore and fantasy on his own storytelling, and some of the storytelling principles which he teaches to his clients. But before all that, we begin with Chris's story. This is the story of a sparrow. Three boys on bicycles, cycling downhill towards the reservoir. The weather is unbelievably hot, but unbelievably hot, and it's been hot for weeks and weeks. So hot, in fact, that the level of the water in the reservoir has gone down and down. And the boys have heard that it's revealed the remains of a sunken village. And they decided to go out and, uh, and have a look, as boys do. One of them, Daniel, is particularly pleased. He's very rarely asked to do anything by the other kids at school. He's an orphan, he's new to the area, and for reasons that will become apparent, he has difficulty relating to, to other people. 
but this is great. I'm feeling the, the wind, which is almost cooling uh, in his face. Uh, he, his heart soars as they approach the reservoir. And when they arrive, they jump off the bicycles, prop them up against the wall and look over the wall into what would be the depths of the water. And there they can see the remains of the old parish church and the outlines of, of houses that were in the village. At first, Daniel is delighted, but then he suddenly realizes trouble because there in the ruins of one of the houses, he sees a figure. And worse still, the figure turns and sees him. And suddenly it launches into the air with wings and flies towards Daniel. His friends see him collapse in a faint. And several hours later, Daniel wakes up in his bed at home with his guardians looking after him. And he lies there and thinks, what on earth happened? Eventually he gets the strength to climb out of bed and Cat won't approach him. Cat turns away, which is unlike Cat because Cat usually wants something. But this time Cat is very cautious and very suspicious looking. And when he approaches Cat, Cat shies away. There's some problem. Something has happened. Well, there's only one thing Daniel can do. His grandmother left him a box. And somehow that box contains things that can help him in these situations. So he rummages around in the wardrobe, brings out the box, great wooden box, opens the clasp and puts his hand inside and pulls out a hand mirror. And when he looks in the mirror, he sees this creature, a great beaked creature with feathers and the creature screams at him and emerges from the mirror straight towards him and Cat leaps and pounces and pins the creature to the bed. And the creature screams and writhes around with feathers everywhere and Cat says, lunch! And Daniel says, stop! Because the creature is transforming as he speaks and turns into the form of a young girl with a mask over her eyes. Quite a common feature amongst the folk and means that they haven't shared their name. Stop, says Daniel. And Kat says, oh, go on. It's lunchtime. Out says Daniel, and Cat lets go of the girl, and she squirms away from him and cowers in the corner. It takes a long time to coax the girl to communicate what had happened, but it seems many years ago, before the flood, a little boy lived in the house, and he rescued a small bird that had flown too soon out of its nest, and he revived it, and he fed it, and they became firm friends until the day when the boy said he was going to have to leave. But she couldn't leave, and soon the waters came, and the waters covered 
the house for many years. And now, this summer, she was free and she wants to find her friend. Daniel realised he was going to have to help her. But the next morning, Daniel set out on the bus and the little sparrow followed him. And they went into the big city to the local studies library and Daniel did some research, aided and abetted by various folk who inhabit all human buildings uh, because the buildings are on the land where those folk used to live. And these folk had got to know uh, what was in a lot of the documents and helped and hindered him. But by the end of the day, he had a name and an address. He still lived at the place where his family had moved to, not far from the reservoir. And so they went back and they found the end of the street and the little sparrow walked down the street and Daniel waited. About half an hour later, she returned. He couldn't see her. She couldn't communicate with him. There was no way that they could be joined together. Now, said Daniel, there's only one thing I can think of. We're going to have to ask Cat, not a prospect that the little sparrow was terribly keen on. Daniel wasn't terribly keen on it either, because if Cat was going to help, Cat would want to be paid, and paid in tuna steaks, which are quite expensive when you're a schoolboy. And this was a, a three-steak ask. And so they went home, and uh, once the three steaks were promised, Cat said, well, there is something. There is a bracelet. And any folk who own the bracelet and slips it on can be human for 24 hours. Daniel, thinking that he was going to have to travel halfway around the world to find the thing, said, well, how does that help us? And Cat said, well, actually... It's in the reservoir, not exactly in the reservoir, it's up a tree. How did it get there, said Daniel. Well, said Kat, there's going to be a race, and the winner of the race gets the bracelet. So you're suggesting the little sparrow joins the race, said Daniel. <laughs> Don't make me laugh, said Kat. She'd never win, not against that lot. Uh, no, no, no. No, there's only one person who could win that race, and that's you. Me, said Daniel, I'm not folk, I'm human. Ah, said Cat, for another stake, you can borrow my mask, and then they'll all think that you're folk. And so that evening, Daniel and Cat and the little sparrow set out, and Daniel wore the mask and soon found himself standing amongst a strange array of creatures, including a huge armoured rabbit that turned to him and said, Bryony, you have the nerve to turn up here and challenge me again. I'm not Bryony, said Daniel. Bryony was his grandmother. Well, said the rabbit, we'll see who can win this race. And as the start of the race was proclaimed the rabbit shot forward at immense speed and got to the bottom of the tree in moments quickly pursued by Daniel now rabbits have difficulty climbing trees even without armor and so 
Daniel was able to climb up the back of the rabbit, stand on its shoulders, grab the bracelet from the top of the tree, and then fell to the ground, but wasn't hurt, and got up and ran towards Cat and a rather terrified little sparrow, and now they had what they needed. Cat was sent home, and Daniel and the little sparrow walked towards the house. And as they walked, the little sparrow said, Daniel, yes, could you hold my hand? And Daniel turned when she slipped her hand into his. It was freezing cold and Daniel went, <laughs> and the little sparrow said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, said Daniel, it just surprised me. It's okay. Several days later, Cat was getting very frustrated. Will you stop moping around and worrying about her? This is the problem with folk. You get involved in them, you get emotionally involved, and then you go through all this trauma. And Daniel said, well, I just want to know what happened. Well, says Cat, the answer's obvious. Go and see him. And so Daniel set off and he walked down the lane to the house where the old man lived. And he was there in the garden pruning his roses. And he looked up and he said, ah, you must be Daniel. I was hoping you'd turn up. I want to thank you. I'd almost forgotten her, except that I've always been interested in birds. And just a few days ago, I remembered her. And then she turned up. I want you to take this. And it was an album of photographs of birds. So Daniel took it home and he sat down with Cat, who wanted to know if there was a number to call for home delivery of these delicious comestibles. And they looked through at the birds with Cat licking his lips. And the very last photo was of the old man and a young woman, no mask. Do you want to tell us a bit about sort of the world that you've created for this story and, uh, and, and how, where the folklore which sort of inspires it comes from? I wanted to do something a little bit different from the usual sort of fairy story. So uh, the folk, as I call them, are uh, natural creatures who adapt to the human world in various ways and possibly humans adapt to the folk world in various ways. The agendas of folk and humans are, uh, uh, don't necessarily relate to one another at all. And mostly folk can't be seen or heard, but they're around us uh, all the time. The exceptions who can detect the folk are small children, possibly cats, uh, and a few adults. And the, and the point of these stories is that Daniel the protagonists can see and hear them all and all the time. And what intrigues me about this is that he walks between both worlds and quite a lot of the time wishes that he didn't. But he does have sympathy uh, for the folk and makes friends with some of them, but often at the relationships he has in the, in the human world. So where does this come from? It's uh, loosely based on Japanese mythology and uh, Japanese folk tales. And 
it's adapted to a place that might be South Yorkshire. Um, you, you, you may be able to detect the places that I have in mind. The direct uh, inspiration is actually uh, an anime called Natsumi Yujin Cho. And it's mostly an episodic story about this relationship between the, uh, the world of the folk and the world of... So it's an adaptation uh, moving from images back into words. And I have various stories in mind with the, with the same protagonist and various other characters. But this one is uh, uh, more directly inspired. Wow, there's a, there's an awful lot of uh, of interesting stuff in there. You know, when we're, we're talking about folklore, and you've got sort of um, the sunken village. It's, it's always wonderfully interesting. You know, these stories of uh, villages that ended ended up under the water, um, and uh, you can see some of the influences from Japanese folklore, but also how I suppose they tie quite well into. British kind of fairy mythology I'm thinking primarily of you know these ideas about the the separation between the the two worlds and that there are only certain people who can either see the other or, or cross over between them and so uh, the the cat is quite important in your story as um, a creature which uh, seems to sort of live in both worlds and can pass back and forth between them. Oh, well uh, the cat's, cat isn't all that he seems yeah, is, is much more than than he seems to be. Um, yes, you get that sense. Yeah, he, uh, but he he's, he's a bit of a mystery. And similarly with the grandmother, and it's not so obvious from this story. But the grandmother actually died quite young, not much older than than Daniel is now. Oh, well, assuming that she did die, of course. Uh, but there's some very strange stuff going on between the grandmother and the folk. It's clearer in other stories. She's the only person that Daniel knows who actually can could see and experience the folk. So what was she up to? And, and maybe Cat uh, was her accomplice as well. There's a lot going on under the surface. Yeah, because time was the other thing I was going to mention. It's that very generational aspect. Sparrow, the um, fairy girl or fairy woman who who's obviously reunited with a much a much older man. Although being a fairy, she could you know very easily be much uh, much older than he is. <laughs> and bringing in Daniel's grandmother and that kind of thing, you know, you you often have this kind of theme about the the way that time moves differently in these in these different worlds. Yeah. But uh, mm. I I wanted to get away from the. Uh... You know, the, the Oberon, Titania type of fairies that, uh, you know, I've uh, got this sort of hierarchical structure with over fairies <laughs> and under fairies and uh, magic lands that people get enticed into and, and so on. One of the things that attracted me to the folk is that they're, they're, all, they're all a bit eccentric. <laughs> yeah, they've, got, they've all got their own obsessions. <laughs> yes, the armoured rabbit was a lot of fun. Well, well, I introduced that for um, the um, Story Forge uh, because, because they're always talking about the scary rabbit. So I thought I'd put a scary rabbit in it without calling it a scary rabbit. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. The, the scary rabbit tin. 
Yes, I guess uh, for the benefit of our listeners, you know, um, when you go to the Storyforge, uh, your donations for coming and hearing everybody's story is a couple of quid, which you drop into a uh, a painted tin, which features scary rabbits on the outside. <laughs> yeah, but but that's the great thing about the folk is that they take many different forms, and you know, and you can play around with them as you like. Yes, well, thank you, um, and uh, thank you for inviting me onto the the podcast. Um, I, I'm a, a local marketing coach, and I specialise in use of stories. And by local marketing, I mean that I help businesses market locally, and uh, I I do a lot of listening to uh, people's stories, often people who've never um, told a story in a formal situation before, and then help them to improve them and to uh, uh, work out how to use them in their business. I also have a, a podcast called Find, Tell, Share, uh, and uh, those three words are the three storytelling disciplines that I use. Um, how to find stories, how to shape the stories that you find for your audience, and how to adapt your story to various media, uh, which is obviously where the marketing comes in. So uh, that that's what I do. Do you want to sort of tell us a bit about how kind of storytelling has been uh, important in your own life? When when did you sort of know that you were a storyteller or, or somebody who was really interested in the power of story? I, I think other people saw it in me before I saw it myself. And it's, it's but most children are into stories and uh, certainly looking back, the, the same is true for me. I mean, I mean, one of the one of the the landmark events in my life was the first episode of Doctor Who, that uh, really got me into science fiction in, in a big way. You know, I, I I've always 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 loved those sorts of storytellers. Um, well, Lord of the Rings was a, an early influence. Earthsea, Narnia, all all those sorts of places. That that interest in fantasy and science fiction actually took me into uh, more serious reading as well, Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. I then read other novels that he'd written, like Point Counterpoint and Eyeless in Gaza, which uh, some of them were actually quite difficult reads. Uh, And then one day I was in the library and I saw uh, uh, War and Peace. And I thought, well, if if I can read Aldous Huxley, I can read Leo Tolstoy. So uh, I picked it up and took it home and read it, and that got me into Russian literature. Uh, and, and so that sort of love of stories has been with me uh, you know, most of my, certainly my adult life. These days, my relationship with stories has changed. I was a community development worker for about 30 years. About 10 years ago, I was made redundant, and I, I wondered what I was going to do next. I went to a few seminars held by Business Sheffield about uh, setting up your own business and they equipped me with spreadsheets and things like that. But, uh, but also uh, I was attracted to the lifestyle you know, of, of not having a boss and being your own boss. I mean, quite often when that happens, you've got the worst boss you've ever had. Uh, but, uh, uh, so I decided to set up my own business, but I, didn't, I hadn't got a clue what I was going to do. 
But I did, as a result of that, um, start to read about marketing. And when I started reading about marketing, I thought, well, actually, I've been doing this for most of my life as a development worker. We didn't call it marketing. We'd call it publicity or campaigning or whatever. But it's getting a message across. And so uh, I uh, began to develop in, the, in that direction and offered coaching in, in marketing. And I've tried to get away from trying to push one particular approach to marketing and really helping people to work out what will work for them. And then as I worked on that, I began to realize that uh, marketing, a lot of marketing is actually storytelling. And a lot of business people do tell stories, but they're not necessarily particularly good at it. So I don't know uh, whether you've ever been to business network meetings, but the those if you have or, or your listeners have uh you know you get your uh, uh between 10 and 15 minute uh presentation and the number of people who begin by telling the life story you know i was born in 1970 school uh, 1972 and i went to school in the particular place and you think oh dear me is this ever gonna is this ever gonna end <laughs> one thing after another yeah, and the absurd thing, I remember one particular person who did that, uh, she, she was actually an accountant, uh, and uh, the part of the story went something like this. And then when I was a teenager, I ran away from home and joined a circus. And then after that, I went on and studied accountancy. I said, hang on a minute, you joined a circus? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> that's the story. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't want to hear that story? Whatever happened. <laughs> uh, so I started telling stories, making business, uh, which which is not uh, which is which is just an opportunity for business people to tell a story and get some feedback. And it's great just listening to people's stories. And when I started, it was uh, tell your business story, singular. Now I tell people you've got loads of stories and the, the key thing is to work out how to use, you know, which stories to use, which point in your sales funnel and, uh, you know, and, and really, really sort of focus on that. So I now have a coaching offer, 12 stories in 12 weeks. I prompt them with some dimension or aspect of their business and to create a story that relates to that and through that I then discovered that stories aren't just helpful for marketing they're also helpful for business development because often the big, you begin to uncover things that you didn't know that you knew um, and, and that's one of the powerful effects of storytelling. You, you give people tools and techniques for discovering the stories within uh, what they already know I, it, I guess is what you uh what you're saying there yeah yeah well people people mostly don't know what they know i mean i'm not i'm and, and storytelling is a is a way of uh, actually finding out what you do know so are there any uh are there any key tools that you kind of use for that you know um uh how do you how do you help people to put a story together you know um because it's, I guess, it's about uh, you know finding that story and then and then structuring it in a specific way. I guess uh, find, tell, share. Uh, so you know, finding stories. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm one of the legions of people that nothing of of, in, of any great interest has happened to me in my life at all. You know, I mean, but that's the point. 
to me, it's like nothing's happened. But to other people, I think I've now written about a hundred stories about my uh, about my life. I'm just under a hundred, I think. But they're, they're all all small elements, uh, and and really, it's it's, it's about just finding an inspiration that brings various aspects of your life and your experience together and suddenly oh there's a story there uh, i'll have a go at that um and uh, uh and that that works quite well so it's help, so it's helping people to find the stories and obviously if you're in business you may have a lot of stories about uh, various customers and how the businesses work for them and i and it's often the people who are in the boring businesses like accountancy um independent financial advisors uh website designers <laughs> you know, all, all all the stuff that's very sort of technical they often have the best stories because the what they do may be uh, boring in in one sense but actually it makes massive differences to people's lives so you've got a story of transformation there um so that's fine tell is is uh, you take that raw material and turn it into a story uh, and there are loads of tools uh, but there's all sorts of ways that you can take a, a fairly mundane story and turn it into something that's that is compelling and interesting because what you're trying to do is to entertain the, your audience and perhaps the biggest uh, step that people need to take at that stage the thing that matters is your audience and their emotional response to the story. And you can actually plan the story to elicit a certain emotion at each point in the story. And it's getting away from the uh, the idea that I'm telling the story for my personal benefit, getting a step beyond that to say, okay, now I can tell this story. How can I tell it that it will actually engage people and help them in their lives uh, and that actually transforms the relationship between the teller and the story and then the third one is share uh, and that's where the marketing really comes in, in in a big way because that's you know what medium are you going to use to tell, tell the story or indeed what media are you going to use i mean the two main uh, types are publishing and performance Depending on which of those two you're going to do, you, it changes the nature of the story. A performed story often needs to be stripped down and maybe quite a bit of repetition so people can follow what the story is. Whereas if you've got a written story or even a video or audio, people can go back and reread or re-listen if they, if they need to. And also there's the question of even before you make that decision is, uh, am I ready to tell this particular story? And and that really is, that's very important. And one bit of advice which I picked up from a professional storyteller is uh, tell stories from your scars and not from your wounds. Because uh, because if you tell the story from your wound, it's easy to be overwhelmed by your personal emotion. But once it's scarred over, then you actually can tell the story. And there are some amazing storytellers out there who uh, are really uh, able to tell them that some of the most traumatic stories you could imagine um, and we've heard some of them on telling stories i've got a few stories that i've written that i haven't performed because i know i'm going to end up in tears if i perform them you know about the death of my parents for example 
Um, and uh, it's, it's not that I'm embarrassed by the stories. It's just, it's actually, you know, well, I mean, it's surprising how you can be ambushed, ambushed by emotion. Yeah, it's amazing. It sounds like, um, you know, this whole process of looking for and figuring out how to tell stories um, can be quite empowering uh, in the, uh, you know, the way that you're talking about them. Um, because I suppose if you're if you're not looking for and telling these tales, then perhaps you don't think about them as much or, you, or they'd sort of become kind of uh, buried uh, inside of you. <laughs> Well, if you think about it, I mean, just think about your own experience. Uh, you you tell and hear stories all the time. You know, if you walk into a room full of people and you know go up and speak to to a stranger, you know, it's it's quite possible that you'll get a story of some description. Uh, it might be about what happened to them on the way to the meeting, or it might be a story about their life or whatever. Uh, but we don't really think about it. We just sort of say what's on the on, on the top of your mind it's getting beyond that and, and actually taking a more considered approach uh, to storytelling which is just as important at a meeting like Storyforge which deals mainly in fiction as it is um, in a in a more formal uh, business context because uh, it, the, the thing they've got in common is there's an audience um, and it's about considering what the audience uh, needs from you at that point you know do you draw a lot of inspiration from you know fiction and folklore and apply that to the your work with your clients or does it ever go in the other direction uh... I, I have experience with fiction in the business context and uh, I mean I'll give you an example of um, where I've used it I, I'm very um, very much influenced by Christopher Booker's Seven Basic Plots. And often when I'm listening to somebody's uh, real-life story, I'm thinking, you know, which of those... And it's, they, they often... Stories often fit more than one of the seven plots because plots are just the way that you arrange the story. Um, and some stories sort of fall neatly into place and others are, you know, you've got, you've got to... Um, you, you may find that they, they could easily follow two, three different plots. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure how uh, helpful that is uh, in, a, in an absolute way, but it's at least a way of checking the shape of that story is and how to organise it as a story. And I suppose that, you know, being able to shape and organise a story helps you to communicate it, doesn't it? And I suppose that communication is... Uh, you know, what allows us to relate to each other and make it very powerful for relating to each other and then also seeing ourselves in relationship with with other people, I guess. Um, yes, yes. Do you find then that, you know, one, once people have started to learn these techniques, how does uh, storytelling kind of change the way that people, you know, talk about their business um, or the business kind of talks about itself and does that does that change the business's relationship you know with their clients uh, one of the keys to uh, well selling itself is a is possibly controversial um, yeah and a lot of people mm. are um, very um, 
uh, nervous about selling. So they often undersell themselves or they do stuff for free or they don't charge as much as they should do because uh, they don't want to offend anybody. And uh, if they make an offer and somebody says no, they spend two or three weeks beating themselves up for not having got it right. (laughs) You know, all of that. One of the key things to understand in terms of sale is selling is actually about problem solving understanding your prospective customer's problem and it's not just understanding it it, it's also showing empathy and that that you actually care about solving this this particular problem and when you do that you're much more likely to get a sale uh, that's genuine and and get a really positive uh, relationship with, with, with the customer obviously it depends a bit on what you're selling but you'd be surprised um even quite a lot of physical products, there is this element of um, uh, of problem solving. I have a client at the moment who sells uh, uh, skincare products. It's great fun working out what it is exactly that she's selling because it's not just a bottle of stuff. It's looking good. It's dealing with with various skin conditions. But it's also um, people enjoy skincare products i i actually find it quite difficult to get my head around it <laughs> but, but people do you know and they have pamper parties and uh, uh and, uh, and you know and love trying new ones and to see how it feels and often you know just squirting something onto your hand and rubbing it together and rubbing it on your face that in itself is, is a pleasurable experience so there's a whole lot of stuff going on uh even there's something as similar simple as you know, as, as physical products. And obviously when you're getting into coaching and consultancy, you know, various professional firms, then these things become more and more important. And storytelling can help you. It can help you get into the habit of uh, listening to your prospective customer's problem uh, and showing that you understand it and can summarize it. It may be that after you've listened, you can show that you understand it by summarizing it in a way that the customer hasn't thought about it before. And that can often sort of clinch the deal. But also another possibility is being able to say, well, actually, you remind me of a customer I had uh, before, uh, and this is what happened with them. The skill of being able to put a story together can then be used, in, particularly in the sales conversation. It, I mean, marketing comes before sales, but similarly, if you stood in front of an audience of people who've never seen you before, it may be 10% of that audience will be interested in what you're selling. But you can still point to the sorts of problems that you solve. And say, if you think I might be able to help you, get in touch. And, and that's your marketing. So it sounds a bit like saying that um, if stories are a way of helping us to relate, then a way of sort of seeing sales is through problem solving and problem solving is uh, a service and you know stories about transformation so if you're if you're helping somebody to solve a problem then you're you know you're helping them along in that that journey of human transformation yeah yeah oh yeah yes well i mean all, all stories are about transformation not not necessarily a huge transformation uh, but uh, Something should be different at the end than it <laughs> was at the beginning. 
we, we've talked about your, your non-fiction and work and fiction um, in in your life. You know your your inspirations and things. Um, do you do you find now that you you do a lot of storytelling for yourself and for leisure, apart from the the kind of marketing and storytelling? Yeah, um, I I do. Uh, I, uh, I I write short stories. I, I try to get them around about the side of A four. Uh, uh, hmm. from life and uh, I've got a little Facebook group that I can share them on sort of immediately that I've written them and then I can consider how I'm going to use them on blog posts or uh, whatever else after that um, and uh, yeah um, I, I think um, it, it's something that we we, uh, we, we all should take uh, in my view, uh, a lot more seriously. Um, I mean, one, one of the, I mean, you'll have heard, you probably have heard it said that at a funeral, uh, most people would rather be in the coffin than giving the eulogy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I've, I've quoted that many times and I, I quoted it to somebody just a couple of weeks ago and she said, well, hang on a minute. She said, this is, you do realise uh, that that, view of public speaking really is it's peculiar to our culture yeah i mean mm. uh, go back into the past or go out into other parts of the world and people are much more used to speaking in public and telling stories in public it's, it's something about our individualistic culture where we think everything that we do has to be about me um, that has meant that we're we're much more cautious about sharing ourselves uh, in in public, and and hence the fear of public speaking. And I thought, well, I'm I'm not sure whether that insight is true, um, but uh, but it just seemed to me to it rings true for me. And, and often I find when I'm uh, coaching people, it's encouraging them to look at the audience to focus on the audience, get inspiration from the audience. And yet so many people fear speaking in public, fear telling their stories. And and yet it's the way in which communities are bound together. And when you look back on oral historians, people like bards and minstrels, uh, the geot in Africa and so on, they uh, it's not just that they can take a story from their life or from their, the history of the country or whatever and turn it into uh, a song or a ballad or, or poetry. Uh, in doing that, they are actually bringing people together uh, and creating community. And, and that's what makes humanity distinctive, our ability to tell stories. So does... Uh... Uh, folklore and and tradition does that uh, play an important role in in your storytelling outside of work? It, it's uh, it, it's not just about fiction. It's about seeing the magic in the world as it is as as well. And uh, you know, Im- imagine going for a walk just in your your own neighbourhood. Uh, how often do you look above the the level of the shops? Who, who, who's above the first floor level? 
you know, who, who's living there? Mm. Who, who's, who's there and shouldn't be there? You know, because apparently our cities are teeming with urban explorers who uh, are, uh, <laughs> you know, breaking into places, not because they're thieves, but just because they want to know what's behind closed doors. What's beneath <laughs> our feet? Um, do you know that under, uh, I can never remember where it's commercial or corporation street, it's commercial street next to Bonsford swimming baths uh, in Sheffield, you know, there's a, uh, a massive archway called the Megatron uh, uh, beneath Commercial Street where the River Sheaf flows through. And somebody said, why did they build that? And I said, well, if they didn't build that, the buses would keep falling into the sheaf. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, we, you know, we, we don't know uh, really what, what's around us at all. Or, or just look at your own house. Who built it? Uh, I mean, you can get, you can get, I know someone, if you're interested, who can find out the history of your house, you know, who built it, who's lived mm. there before. Yeah. And, and, and these are apparently anonymous people. They've left something behind, you know, the, the decisions they made about the layout of your house are having an direct impact on your life now. But why did they make those decisions? So, so there's a lot of mystery just around us, um, and uh, you know the, uh, uh, and and I suppose uh, I suspect the origin of a lot of folklore is uh, a sort of recognition of um, uh, of those who've gone before, and uh, because we we don't, it's hard to get inside their heads so we can project it into fairy or folk or whatever. You've been listening to The Story of a Sparrow, a guest episode of Law and Legend with storyteller and marketing consultant Chris Sissons. You can find out more about Chris and his coaching by visiting the Market Together website at storiesinbusiness.org.uk where you can also listen to the Fine Tell Share storytelling podcast. You'll find the full links to those places in the episode show notes. The lore and legend theme music in this episode was performed by Robert Bentall, with additional music from Sakilo Museum of Ancient Instruments. If you like what you hear and you want to hear more, please consider joining our family of patrons and supporting the podcast. For more details, visit our website and click on Support Us, where you'll find everything that you need. Thanks once again for listening, Story Folk. Our next set of episodes is going to be our Christmas special, so look out for those at the height of the festive season. Mm-hmm.